I believe that we're in like a really significant season for the life of the church. And I'm going to use this term a little bit later on, but it's this, this term kairos moment, which means that it's a kind of like God takes this ordinary moment and invests in it some greater purpose than just how it fits in the normal flow of things. There's something significant here. And you might look back on your life and you, and you can remember a moment you go, that was such a significant time. It set the course for the next season of my life or even for my whole life. And one of the things that we are hearing God say and believing God for is for us to see um, those that were formerly separated from God coming into a, a, a relationship with Christ as we move forward for the lost to be saved. And I believe as God does that, He's going to bring so many into the life of this church that are going to come in as infants in Christ and need to be journeyed to maturity. And this discipleship guide that we've put together, I think is an incredible tool to enable people to do this. I was saying to someone the other day that you don't have to be like some sort of spiritual guru or anything to be a mentor to use this. In some ways, you only have to be one step ahead of the person that you're mentoring, just um, the, there's so much guidance in you anyway that even if there's, there are things that are new to you as you're going through it with somebody else, you'll be able to be led to help them and walk them through that process. Plus, we're here for you. You know what I mean? There's so many other people in the life of the church that if you get stuck anywhere along the way with a person that you're walking with, you can shout and say, hey, Saj, I need some help, or Linda, I need some help, and they'll come alongside you and help you navigate through that. And so I do want to encourage you, if you haven't already been through the discipleship guide as a disciple, then it would be a good idea to do it because there's so many things in here that deal with, they, they set us off an e on, a, on a solid group, uh, footing so that we can get on with what God's called us to do. And if you have, then why don't you walk through it with somebody else? Why don't you mentor somebody else in the process? Um, because I, I think they're going to be coming and we need to be ready for it. So the significance of this moment has been brought home by some of what we've been and hearing God say, which is an invitation by Him, that we take up a posture of waiting upon Him, of being attentive to His voice, of not getting on with our own agenda. And I'm talking about now for us as a church and what we do together as a church. I'm not necessarily talking about your lives specifically, although I think this applies to that as well. That so often we set our own agenda and we get on with what we're doing and we lose track of what God is doing. We just, it's kind of like, um, you're following somebody in the car and then you stop paying attention and they, t they take the turn off and, and you just carry on straight. And you go, well, where did they go? And we've stopped following. And at times Christ is making these, these changes and these turns because he's building his church, but we've just carried on on our own path. And so a few weeks ago, we prayed through this in our Ignite prayer time. We, um, we actually met with the pastors, whatever it was, a couple of weeks ago in our normal bi-weekly and pastor's prayer time, and this came through, and we just spent, I think we spent about two hours, maybe two and a half hours, just in worship and prayer, and we decided actually we won't wait two more weeks to meet again, and we met this week again on Wednesday, and so I think there were about, I don't know, 12 guys there, about eight different churches represented, there were two pastors that couldn't make it that day, and there's a hunger really amongst us to be hearing what God is saying, and I hope that hunger is in you as well, not, friends, not I mean, I want to express this in some, I hope my words kind of take us there. Not a place of, um, not a, a moment, like if I can just have a really good experience with God, then I can just kind of carry on again. But something that fundamentally changes the way that we journey our life, that it is a, a journey that is um, 
filled or um, marked by us listening to God and for Him leading us along the way. And, um, and so we begin our Acts series today, and we're beginning it kind of strangely in Acts chapter 8. We don't start in Acts chapter 1. We may go back there when we visit, revisit our Acts series next year or the year after, who knows. But we, um, but we feel like we're not starting Acts in Acts chapter 8. We, we, we feel like what happened last week and what God's been leading us to has been a preparation that brings us to this very key chapter that we're going to be starting in today and all that kind of follows from this point. Um, the, the title of my preach is The Church Scattered. And I want to start, before I get to the text in Acts chapter 8, by reading a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And he says this, Every church endowed with the Holy Spirit will be spread abroad. Every church that is full of the Holy Spirit will be spread abroad. God never means a church to be shut up in a shell or like ointment enclosed in a box. The precious perfume of the gospel must be poured forth to sweeten the air. Now, I asked Linda if, she, if I could have some of her perfume, not for wearing, obviously, because I'm not that kind of guy. There might be some of you that use it for that. But, um, but so she gives me this beautiful perfume. How beautiful is that container, eh? And it's got this little sticky thing in here. I don't know what, I don't know. So apparently you, I found out this morning, you put it on your wrist, apparently, before you go out. But that isn't the way that God spreads the perfume of His gospel. See, God wants the church, if I could break it and pour it out so that it filled the whole room, I would. But God wants uh, the perfume to be poured out like this, like this extravagant, wasteful expression. And the gospel is like that. It, it should be poured out in a way. Linda's weeping. <laughs> the gospel should be poured out in our cities and the cities God sends us to so that, and if this was that kind of a perfume, my nose is not that great, but it would spread. So, so you, wherever you were sitting, would be going, oh, what is that fragrance? What's filling the air here? That's what happens when the gospel goes out. And Acts chapter 8 and verse 1 is this absolute key verse. It's called a, a hinge verse in the gospel. In the, um, if you just go to the, the, the picture of the, there's a timeline of the book of Acts. And you'll see that, that everything up to this point has been about Jerusalem. Anytime you want to put that up, there we go. Everything up to this point has been about Jerusalem. And then Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it swings the door open for the gospel to go out. And we see it goes out to Judea and Samaria and from there to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we're going to start there, read this verse. And, and it, it's, the context is so important that we better be paying attention. And we sang that song earlier and it says, I can't miss anything. That's what we sang, and it's kind of like we need to be leaning into what God's saying here and say, Lord, let me hear. In fact, won't you turn to the person next to you and say, God is speaking to you today. I'm just checking that you're saying it. Sean, God is speaking to you today. And so, because so often what happens is we listen to this word and we think, well, I hope Gareth is listening. Do you know what I mean? I hope Leon's listening because, oh, God's speaking to them today. No, no. God is speaking to you today. Acts 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. It's a strange start to this chapter, isn't it? And one of the things we know is that the, the, the chapter breaks and the verses are not put there by the Holy Spirit. After the Bible was comp, uh, compiled, all the books were put together, those that put it together decided where the chapter breaks and the verse breaks went. And so it kind of feels like this one comes in a weird place, in the middle of a sentence almost, and Paul approved of his execution. But I'm glad that it's here because it's, there's such an important point that it illustrates at this juncture for us who are going to be the instruments that God wants to use to take His gospel out. You know, the Scripture, I think one of the things that makes it just an authentic book is that it never glosses over the failings of the main protagonists. Whoever it is that you read about, whether it's Moses, this incredible leader, David, the amazing king, every single person, their failings are laid out there for everyone to see. It's, it's, it's not like some of the biographies that you read, you think that this person never do anything wrong because nothing's in, been written in the book, you know. Um, and Paul is not spared that either. Paul, who was a, a destroyer of the church, it, it, it wasn't like, sometimes we get the impression that Saul was kind of wandered around going, stop doing church, stop doing church. He made sure that Christians were put in prison. He separated husbands from wives and children from families. He, but it was because of his actions and maybe directly from his hand that some died because they were followers of Jesus Christ. And Paul, um, again and again, both in his epistles and as Luke writes a story in Acts, recalls the, 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 sh the shamefulness of that posture that he took against the church that he now has become a part of. In Acts 22 verse 20 he says, When the blood of Stephen was being shed, I myself was standing by and approved of it. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 9, he says, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. And friends, if you were not saved as a child, and I mean saved, I don't mean you attended church. Lots and lots of people attend church as children and don't ever get saved. They, they, they get introduced to religion, but not introduced to the Savior. But if you were not saved as a child, there's probably a, a, a strong chance that there are things that you've done, situations that you've been engaged with that fill you with some sense of shame when you think upon them now, or at least some sense that it disqualifies you from being able to present the gospel to someone else. Paul understood that. Paul was one such man. And the devil wastes no opportunity to remind us whenever God would call us of those things in our past. We may, I don't even want to list what they might be, but you would know in your heart. But God comes with His Word, and He reminds us wonderfully in Psalm 103 and verse 12, that as far as the east is from the west, the east is from the west, I think, um, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Now, if you never did geography at school, I want to tell you that the east is as far from the west as it could possibly be. God's saying as far away to two points that will never meet, God has taken your sin and removed it. And Paul expresses this truth in that passage that I read in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, when he talks up there about him being unworthy to be called an apostle because he, pre because he persecuted the church. When in verse 10, 10 he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, to the contrary, I was harder than any of them, referring to the other apostles, 
though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. And we've got to, friends, we've got to settle this thing. Whatever your past is, whatever your mistakes are that you've made, whatever it is that leads you to believe that you are disqualified from being in ministry, even things that have recently been manifesting in your life, Jesus comes to qualify us. He provides the way, if you are in the court in those things right now, to be set free from those through repentance to come out of that and then to be an instrument in the hand of God. It was Jesus, after all, who said that he who is forgiven much loves much. And Paul expresses this very thing when he says it was the grace of God that caused me to work harder. And so maybe some of what you've been through and your gratitude at being set free from it just causes you to work harder, to be more committed, to be even bolder, that this glorious gospel that you've received, you have the opportunity to share with others. And so this text continues, but we don't want to go on unless you've settled this thing in your heart. I was watching the Olympics, and there was this British guy in the 100 meters, and he was down and obviously been training for four years, five years to be at the Olympics, and he was, you know, he was like, I mean, like a specimen of a man, just like muscles everywhere, and like ready for this 100-meter race, and they fired the gun, but he had leapt off just before the gun had fired, and so they fired it a second time like this, and, and, and he knew, he knew he had gone just a fraction of a second too early, and he was, he was disqualified. He couldn't run in the race, and this, all of this work had been done, and he walked back now through the tunnel, unable to run the race, and so often in, in our race with God, we feel like the gun's gone off again. The, devil, the devil's pulling the trigger again, and we, just as we're wanting to launch, we, we, we're disqualified. But we're the one disqualifying ourselves when Christ is at work to qualify us. And as I speak about what God has called us to, it's you that He's called today. It's, it's as we'll see later, it's not the, the clergy, it's not the, you know, whatever, the God's man of power for the hour. It's the men and women of, uh, of the church that God has called to fulfill this mandate. Acts 8, verse 1 continues, and there arose on that day, on that specific day. There was a day before when it was one thing, and then after this day, everything had changed. And that's one of those Kairos moments. Stephen's life had been the seed that was sown into the ground that would be a catalyst that would cause the gospel to spread into all the nations of the world and to con con continue to spread even till today so that every one of us who are um, saved are the recipients of this gospel that that day left Jerusalem and went to Judea and Samaria, and as we'll see later, into the, to the Gentiles as well, of which most of us are. You know, from a human perspective, his death can seem premature. I mean, yeah, this young up-and-coming, I don't know how young he was, but a young up, I'm assuming he was young, up-and-coming preacher, this gifted, gifted young guy. And like, you kind of think, oh, like what a, what a waste that he would die so early. What a loss to the church. What an undermining of the purpose of the church moving forward because of his death. But his death wasn't premature. It was at exactly the right time that God had ordained that his death would accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. Friends, I believe that we will not, if we are walking with God, none of us will die prematurely. I believe that, that God has our days in His hands. I remember, I think I've shared the story with you, some years ago I was in Sri Lanka on one of the motorbike trips to go carry the gospel, and one day my motorbiking wasn't quite up to the standard it should have been, and I rode into a truck, and uh, me and the motorbike went flying through the air, and genuinely, I mean, I, I believe, but the grace of God kind of thing, and uh, I probably should have died, I mean, who knows, whatever. 
And, um, but one of the pastors came to me afterwards that we were traveling with a Saranga um, Sri Lankan guy, and he said to me, he'd been praying and felt God say that I wouldn't die in an accident. I said, hallelujah, I received that word. I've wondered whether it's given me certain liberties to be free with, because with, uh, I have it. He said, he said but um, you will die in the pulpit. And I thought, that's pretty cool. I think I would like that. Do you know what I mean? Like in the middle, it could be now. You ready? Ready? Ready now. So I'm joking. But friends, we don't need to fear death. Nor do we, nor should we underestimate the power of death. That when that day comes, when our, has, our, has our life been lived to the fullest of what God's given us to live? And I, and I think like it's so significant this time where like the fear of death seems to be what drives three quarters of the world at the moment. Like it, it, at the right time, our death will be the seed. But not just in those moments of ultimate sacrifice. You know, not just in the moments that Tertullian speaks of when he says this, kill us, torture us, condemn us, grind us to the dust. Your injustice is proof that we are innocent. The oftener we are mown down by you, the more in number we grow, the blood of Christians is seed. But not just the blood, friends. Not just that ultimate sacrifice, but whenever we sacrifice. When we sacrifice in our careers and we set aside a promotion that we could otherwise have taken for the purpose of the gospel. We go or we don't go to a certain place for the sake of the gospel. We sow of our time, we sow of our talents, and we sow of our treasures. Every sacrifice is seed for the gospel. And sometimes we go, well, that was a waste. Like, um, Linda is a psychologist by training. I'm a chartered accountant by training. We had great careers. Some people go, what a waste for you to leave that behind. It doesn't feel like a waste at all. It feels like seed. And God wants your lives and your choices to be seed for whatever he calls you to in the kingdom of God. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. I've said already that those chapter and verse divisions are not there by the Holy Spirit. But there's a kind of um, poetic symmetry to the fact that 8 chapter 1 is a mirror of 1 chapter 8. Because chapter 1, and verse, uh, yeah, chapter one verse 8 is, is probably the key text in the whole of the book of Acts. And a verse that we know so well. All of us can say it together. For God so loved the world. What does Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 say? Over to you, church. Shout it out at home right now. Acts 1 verse 8 says, You will receive power when uh, my Holy Spirit will come upon you, you and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. It's this command that God had given to the disciples to wait, and when the Holy Spirit had been poured out, then to scatter like this. And guess what they did? They didn't scatter like this. They didn't go into all the nations of the earth. And Jesus' intent is not for us to be a holy huddle. It's not for us to cram into this warehouse, lock our doors, and feel completely safe. At least for a few hours we get to worship Him and, and be Christians here so that when we go out there we can be completely camouflaged and live whatever life we want to. Samira Pereira is calling me from Sri Lanka on, what's it, on Facebook Messenger. Samira, you should be watching church, bro. And the Father is adamant that the gospel will go out. And He's adamant that it goes out through us. His intent was never that it's through angels or through dreams, and those things happen. But His intent from the very beginning was that you and I would carry the gospel into the, all the places where it needs to reach. Isaiah one day gets the privilege of, of eavesdropping into heaven. 
and he hears this um uh, he hears this conversation taking place where God's speaking to God. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are speaking. And they say this, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 33 chapters later, the prophet receives this message. He says, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant. And he's speaking about the suffering servant that he will introduce us to in Isaiah 53. That is Jesus. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back, and I'll insert the word here, only those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. I see Victor sitting there from Mexico. I see a gospel that has gone into every nation on the face of the earth because that's what God intended. When David stood facing Goliath and he was about to bring him down, the reason he gave for Goliath coming down was not so that some form of Israeli nationalism. It was, he said that the whole earth may know that there is a God in Israel. You see, this, this God, his intent was always that Israel would, would serve to be a light to all the nations of the world. There's so many um, prophecies and promises of all the nations coming to Israel. But the, that, that, they failed, but that command has been given to us as the church. We are to be the light that draws all nations to the glory of God's gospel. And we have to take this seriously because what we see in this text is that if the church will not obey 1-8, God will allow 8-1. Let's say that again. If the church will not obey 1-8, then God will allow 8-1. He doesn't do it to punish us. We're His children, for goodness sake. God is like, God forbid that we would think that God would go, oh, you're not working hard enough. Persecution. Ah, you know what I mean? Like things like that. He does it to compel us. See, God is more interested in His gospel going out than that our dreams for our lives get fulfilled. He's more interested that the lost be saved than that we remain comfortable in the status quo that we've, that we've crafted around us. And I think this is prophetically significant to us on the earth today. There is so much shaking going on, friends, on this earth right now. If you're following news regularly, as I do, you, you kind of think, like, this world's gone bonkers. Like, it's just falling apart all over the place. Refugees here, division there, the pandemic causing all sorts of chaos around the world today. And, uh, and I, I don't even want to get into the conversation of whether God is directly or indirectly causing any of these things or whether He's just using them. The point is that God does use them. And I think there's two big things that He's doing. Number one, He's preparing the soil. He's preparing the hearts of those that need to hear the gospel. Wherever God will send you, you need to remember that He's gone ahead of you to prepare the soil. There's not a nation on this earth that's not been touched by the gospel, by, sorry, by this pandemic and what's gone on. And God has used that to prepare hearts. This world is different today than it was two years ago. It's just flat out a different world. Hearts that once were impregnable have become open. Walls that were too high have fallen down and we can enter in. It's amazing that Philip, who we'll speak about in a moment, went to Samaria, the very place where Jesus had met the woman at the well. See, Jesus had gone ahead and prepared the ground so that when Philip went there, as he preached Christ, not a church, not a religion, but Jesus, that the gospel would come in power. Where is God going to send you that Jesus has already been and prepared the ground? It might be your neighbor. You might think, well, that's impossible. You don't know my neighbor, Rob. Jesus does. Maybe he's been in their house. Maybe he's been preparing the soil through the crises that have been going on for you to come and be a part of that. I wonder, friends, how we might act if we endured persecution. 
you know, when you look around at the modern church today, the entertainment gospel, the, you know, I'll go to church as long as it's got this, this, this. I remember seeing a thing about virtual church, about people putting on those virtual goggles, you know, and kind of scrolling through on their telephone app like this, going, um, okay, what do I want today? How much conviction? I want about, I want about four out of five conviction today, God. Last week was a bit much, you know what I mean? And, and yeah, pastor with skinny jeans, beard, yeah, no, yeah, that's fine, perfect. Worship, we scroll up, worship leader, no, she's not pretty enough, hold on, hold on. Oh, there you go, whoa, that? You know what I mean? Like, like, that's what church has become for so many people. Like, how would we react genuinely? I, I was chatting to Mark before the meeting, oh, maybe it was somebody else, I can't remember, I was chatting to so many people. But I've said this, and I've said this to you before, that if those doors were broken open by the police and they would have come in here and say, why are you meeting? Of course they would arrest me, and I would give them Matt's name 100%. (laughs) I don't want to be alone. God said two by two, we go out. (laughs) But you are risking it. You are risking it. Like, like, you can't say, but Rob made me do it. The police are not going to care you say that. See, you are owning the call of God that's upon your life. And when we see these early believers, we see that though they did run away um, from, the, from the persecution, they didn't defect from Christ. And though they had been mistreated, remember, this is Paul that had been ravaging the church. Some of them may have had family members thrown into prison. Some may have had their businesses taken away. Some may have had family members put to death. Some may have, so, so there was like, there was, what had they endured? And as they went, they didn't moan and groan and hide away. They gossiped the gospel. They, they got into place and they said things like, like, can I tell you about Jesus? What has he done for you? Well, I mean, I've lost everything, but I've got Jesus. Can I tell you about him? There's this, like, the, the gospel is, is real and living. And so it's not a religion. It's not a, a group we belong to. It's the reality that we've been born again through Christ. One commentator reminds us that it wasn't job transfers that took them somewhere. It wasn't that they'd won the green card lottery. They were now going into another nation. They were, they were scattered against their will. And he said this. He says, you might have expected them to lie low and to hide somewhere in caves until the trouble dies down. And it's astonishing, he says. And it's astonishing. It's breathtaking that these men and women are going about and they're gossiping the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we worry about what's to come. Like, like, how will I endure in the face of persecution? Because I want to tell you that there's only grace for today. The Bible says, give us this day our daily bread. Whenever we start trying to use today's grace for tomorrow's problems, we always run short. See, each day God will give us what we need. When persecution comes, persecution grace will come as well. You will be astounded by what you're able to endure if you have been investing in your relationship with God. That's the proviso. That we actually need to use this time that God's given us to prepare, to fall more in love with Him, to be more convinced of what He shows even to prepare ourselves for how do, I, how do I live without this and without that? See, God is not wanting to take from us. He just wants us to open our hands. See, some of us are living like this. I, I won't let go of this. You can't take this from me. You can't. Lord, not this, not that, not whatever it is. God's just saying, like a, like a father that comes to the, the kid that's kind of holding that sweet in their hand and won't open it. You know, Listen, my boy, just open your hand. Trust me. Trust me. And somewhat reluctantly, we do because we trust God. We begin to open our hand and we're waiting for him to steal it out of our hand and like close it again and, 
And we find he's not trying to grab it out of our hand. He's just wanting us to live that that is not the thing that controls us. And so use this season to prepare yourself for whatever it is that may come our way. 8.1 continues and says, And they were scattered, they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Remember the, the quote about the perfume. The precious perfume of the gospel is poured forth to sweeten the air. And this picture that we see is of a, of a farmer sowing the seed out like this into the nations. There's a, there's a liberality with it, like in the way that the perfume was poured out. God doesn't go like, hold on, let me get my one seed. Here we go, yeah, yeah, catch that little bit, or catch that little bit. He scatters it like that. But he also scatters it strategically. Just stick that map up if you don't mind. We see in this that there's like two movements where the Holy Spirit begins to scatter people. First, as Acts, 1 verse, Acts 8 verse 1 says, they go to Jumeria, Judea and Samaria, Judea and Samaria. And, um, and then in Acts chapter 11 verse 19, looking back on this moment, it says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But then something else begins to happen. There's a, there's a next step in it. Verse 20 and 21 of Acts 11. But there were some of them, men from Cyrene, so Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Sometimes God sows us into one place, and that what we do there becomes a seed that sows into another place. We just never know what God it's going to be using us for. Verse 4 says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. One historian by the name of Kenneth Latourette says this, The chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appear not to have been those who made it a profession. I hate that word. But who's, who were not apostles and prophets and evangelists you know, in the offices. But men and women who carried on their livelihood in some secular fashion, manner, and spoke their faith to those they met in a natural fashion. It wasn't the apostles that were the catalyst for the gospel to go out the first time. It was you. It was ordinary people sitting in the, in the, in the pews that were part of the life of the church. And in fact, we, we're going to get to Philip because he was one of those that went out and he went to the city in Samaria and preached the gospel. Philip wasn't an apostle. He wasn't an elder in the church. In fact, the, the apostles in Jerusalem were elders. They were eldering their church in Jerusalem. And, and they, were, they were committed to the task it says the ministry of the word and prayer. And so they would spend their time preaching the word, teaching the word, studying the word, praying, praying for people, interceding into situations. But then this, this practical situation arose where the, the widows needed to be fed and there were complaints about the distribution of food. And they said, can, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do that? Wait on tables. That's what they were asked to do. Can you serve? That's what the word deacon literally means, serve. It actually literally means to sweep. That's what it means. And to, that was Philip. That's what he was. And he was the one that God would use as we read on to, to bring a revival into Samaria. And I want to say to you, friends, as I've lost my glasses here, <laughs> um, that, uh, that God is speaking to you. Are you ready for the season that comes ahead to do what God has called you to do? Don't. I mean, I wonder if Philip even knew that he was that good of a preacher or if he had that anointing upon his life. You know, like when they do those interviews with people after there's been some situation with somebody's life. They've either turned out to be somebody like Justin Bieber's, you know, did you, you know, did you know? Yeah, I knew Justin Bieber when he was, when he was famous so young, when he was two. 
he was just an ordinary baby, you know. Or they go, to, they go now into the church and they go, did you, any of you know Philip? I knew Philip. There's my neighbor. I wouldn't have said anything about him. Just an ordinary guy. Just, you know, whatever. He just got, he, he, he worked down at the bank and he, uh, he served in the church. He was a deacon in the church. Nothing really marvelous. Go to the church, interview him. Philip, yeah, he was an enthusiastic guy, but yeah, not too much about him. But he's, he's the one that caused, that preached the gospel so that a revival took place. There were signs and wonders that accompanied his ministry. It literally could be you, friends. It literally could be you. You could be that God is waiting for you to step out of the boat. That's why we, we so encourage you to come with us when we go on some of these apostolic trips. I'm going to South Africa to go minister in two churches. Maybe you want to come with and, and be a part of that. I'm trying to get as soon as I can, get into Sri Lanka and to get into India. Maybe you want to come and be a part of those things. And just like step out of the boat. Who knows? Or maybe God's going to transfer you. Or maybe you lose your job when you've got to go somewhere. And God's going to use you in that moment because you've prepared yourself for this. I want to say about that as well that I want to speak specifically to the young people in the life of the church. And so often, like, everyone disqualifies themselves. And so I, it, this applies to everybody. But so often we can, for young people, they can say, well, as soon as I get to this or that place, then I will begin to serve God. I'm, a, I'm just not able to do it yet. And I want to say that I don't know how young Philip was when he went out. I mean, it was probably something like 10 or 12 years later that uh, Paul would meet him in um, Caesarea when he had the four daughters. So he may have been in his early 20s when he went out and did this. Um, and why not you? You know, there's this incredible picture where you've got Peter and John, these great apostles. They've, they've walked with Jesus. They've seen these signs and wonders. They're the preachers of the gospel. People are being healed by their shadows. And yeah, you've got this nobody, this deacon who's new on the on the um, uh, what do you call it, on the stage, and, and they don't say, hey, buddy, oh, you stop preaching. You get back to deaconing. You get back to waiting on tables. You just keep your place, stay where you are. When they hear the reports coming from Samaria about the, the revival that's taking place, they don't go, yeah, whatever. We know, Philip, that's not real preaching. It's not going to last. It'll, it's just a flash in the pan. No, no. The 12 get together and they say, let's send our best. Let's send Peter and John to go back up, Philip. And when Peter and John arrived there, they, get, they, they set themselves to working hard to establish a church with the converts that Philip had won to the gospel. And I want to say that we as a leadership, we do not want to get in the way of what God is wanting to do through you. We want every single person to rise up and to come um, into all that God has for them. And, I, and I'm, I'm saying that over you. Today is uh, my son Matthew's 21st birthday. Lynn and I made this video that we sent to him that he's he was listening to, hopefully, this morning. Poor kid, it was like 15 minutes of mom and dad just speaking. <laughs> I could try to throw some pictures in the video so it would be a little bit more entertaining for him. But um, one of the things that comes through from both Lynn and I is, hey, Matthew, go, go further than us. Like, like there's no, no part of us that hopes that he doesn't achieve what we achieve. No part of us that doesn't want him to go way beyond in his marriage, in, his, in the way that he raises his children, in the way that he handles his finances and how he conducts himself in his career or whatever it is that God uses. Of course, of course we want him to go beyond us. And Peter and John wanted Philip to, and, and we as a leadership want you to. What has God put upon your life? What is he preparing you for, prepared you for, and maybe for this very hour that you accomplish the purpose that he has for you? Lastly, it says in verse 8, so there was much joy in that city. 
Isn't the gospel the most incredible thing? Eugene Peterson says that we, we, one of the great difficulties of pastoral care is helping people stay alert to the magnificence of their salvation. There's a quote here by the, a man by the name of John Bowen who um, at some later point in his life would become what, like a, a minister in Sierra Leone of all places. But when he wrote this, he was a, a farmer in Canada and he had been saved recently through a sermon that he had heard preached. And so he wrote this in his diary, and I think it's just the most incredible expression of the joy that comes when we meet Jesus Christ. He says this. He says, I experienced such an ecstasy last evening in prayer that I doubted if I were in my right senses. Christ was slain for me. I could give myself up to him unreservedly. I cannot describe my sensations of joy. I could not praise God sufficiently for the great scheme of his salvation. I remained a long time giving thanks and praying that such a heavenly joy might not be taken away from me. Friends, I feel like, won't you stand with me please? I feel like some of us have lost our sense of joy at our salvation. I'm a pain in the bum. I, I am, Linda, you can tell, like, if there's anything in nature that's amazing, like, I just, oh, check at that, like, like look at that mountain, babe. Like Linda said, well, we've, you know, we've been there for like five days. I've seen it now. No, baby, but look at it today. Look how amazing that mountain is. I, I love, I love um, being impressed by what God has done. But so often we can become familiar with this gospel that has saved us, that we who were sinners and far off forget about the fact that we have been brought near to God, not to religion, friends. Not to membership of a church, but to the Lord God Almighty through His Son, Jesus Christ, and His sacrifice on the cross. And I think unless we are saturated by the wonder of the gospel, when we sown out, we're hardly going to leave a mark. We like those um, Monsanto seeds, you know, they get sown out there and they give you one crop and then they can never, never produce again. No, no, we want to be those that are, that the full DNA of the gospel is in us and when we sow in, it produces a harvest which sows again and produces a harvest and sows again and again and again. And so I want to pray two prayers this morning. I want to pray for you if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, as I look across the room, I know most people, and I think that most of you are in a relationship with Christ. I don't mean that you've attended church. I mean you have come in saving faith and received Him as your Lord and your Savior and depend upon Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and your right standing with God. That there's no other route you're taking, only Jesus. In faith, you've accepted that that is enough and that what God has said He will do, He will do. And through that, you've been born again. If you've not experienced that, then this morning I want to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Second thing I'm going to pray for is over us. That God would prepare us in the craziness of this world that we live in that we would be the seed that he uses for his gospel to go out. So why don't you close your eyes, please. To that first group, whether you're in the hall or online, by having your sins forgiven, by coming to him in faith, then why don't you put your hand up that I can pray a prayer with you to receive Christ. 
Okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to pray with me, please. God in heaven, I thank you that you sent your son, that he was sown from heaven, sinless life. His death on that cross in my place. I acknowledge my place upon the cross. I'm so grateful that you were resurrected to life again, that I might too have eternal life through your sacrifice. Today, I choose to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. I thank you that as I trust in you, I am made your child by your Holy Spirit. I am born again. And I ask you to lead me from this day onwards and all the days of my life. And Father, for those that prayed that prayer this morning, this Kairos moment for them, I pray that your gracious hand would rest upon them. I thank you that they are born again by your Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit that you would continue to lead them and guide them. Where we've become familiar, and I include myself in this prayer, where we we have become familiar with our salvation, would you come remind us again this morning of the wonder of the fact that we who were the enemies of God have been made his sons and daughters. That everything else will pass away but we will remain with you for eternity. We love you, Lord, and we, we, we pay attention to your great command to us, Lord God. To be your witnesses in Jerusalem, our city, Judea, the area that surrounds it, and Samaria, to other people groups, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And wherever you place us, Lord God, wherever you send us, Lord God, we're going to be those that gossip the gospel. No matter what hardships come our way, what can never be taken from us is our relationship with Jesus. The peace and the joy that He brings and the wonder of this relationship with Him. I pray that over this church, for the season ahead, Lord God, as we seek Your face, Lord God, that there would be um, an overflow of the gospel wherever You would place us. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen.